All right, let's get started. These bios are uh, incredible, by the way. Please welcome our first panelist. I promised I would not mess her name up. Antra Gergen from ARE Partners. Antra is the president and managing broker of ARE Properties and a CCIM with over 17 years of experience representing investors, homeowners, lenders, and property owners. She sits on CARS Board of Directors. She's a trustee for the foundation and is the chair of the Professional Development Advisory Group. She's also served as a mentor for the Goldie B. Wolf Miller Women's Women Leaders in Commercial Real Estate Initiative. In 2014, she was named as the Women's Council of Realtors Entrepreneur of the Year. Please give a warm welcoming hand again to Ancha. Our second panelist goes by a nickname K-Rock. Kevin Rocio from At Properties is the founder of the Rock Realty Group at At Properties. He's been making deals in Chicago's bustling commercial investment real estate market since 2009. With his Rock Realty Group, he brings a vast array of experiences in all areas of real estate, including commercial, residential, financing, and development. In 2014, he was named a Car Platinum Commercial Real Estate Top Producer. And in 2017, he received his second the Mover and Shakers of Chicago Real Estate Award from Modern Luxury Men's book, Chicago Magazine. Please give a warm welcome to Kevin K. Rock. Last but not least, our third panelist, Megan McCollum from McCollum Holdings. Megan spent 14 years in emergency services as a firefighter and paramedic and has a master's degree from University of Chicago in threat response and management. She has been a full-time real estate investor for almost three years and has an incredible portfolio of 42 doors, which are a mix of single family homes, duplexes, a triplex, and a 20 unit apartment building. It's crazy. That's basically everything. She dedicated the past year to educating, mentoring, and inspiring new and struggling investors. Similarly, she's helped other investors establish real estate investing clubs around the Midwest. Please give a warm welcome to Megan. You guys are stuck with me as the moderator, so I want to give you guys one quick piece of information and advice before we get to the panel. I coach and train realtors all the time that the average buyer and seller buys every five to seven years. The average investor buys every 18 months. Most people are fearful of working with investors because they just don't know how to do it. So I'm really excited to have these three here today to give you guys those tips because working with investors really is going to help your business take off. So I'm going to get to questions because we've got a bunch of them. I'm going to ask them a bunch of questions that you guys submitted and then if we have some time, we'll take some audience questions. So first question, what are your best tips for investors to find off-market deals? And I think we'll just go kind of down the line here. Okay, should I use this microphone? Yeah, go for it. If it doesn't work, you can have mine. Testing. Okay. Hi, guys. Thanks for coming out today. It's so nice to see so many people in the room and to be here with you guys. Um, so how do, we, how do we find deals for investors? Obviously, a lot of stuff goes up on the MLS, but people are always looking to get things before it hits. Um, and there's a lot of hustle. There's a lot of hustle that goes into that. Um, so that's what you have to do. You have to drive through the neighborhoods. You have to look at properties, you have to find the owners, call them directly if necessary. But one of the opposite side of that is the networking portion. So for instance, if you're networking with each other in the room, you're going to find deals. I was just talking with my friend Sarah Ware about an off-market 
coming in North Kenwood, if you were my friend on Facebook, you would know about this off-market, fantastic historic landmark home on three pins coming up very, very soon. And it's going to be off-market. I'm not trying to just shamelessly self-plug, but it's true. Um, I was so impressed. I was in Springfield for Capcom a couple weeks back. One of the brokers who happens to be in the room came up to me and said, do you have anything coming up in the southwest suburbs? How impressive is that? If I did, he would know about it. His investors would know about it. So the networking element about finding, finding off-market deals is super, super important. I'm going to add to that. I agree with, how do you pronounce your name correctly? Ancha. Ancha. I got it right. K-Rock. K-Rock. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, there's an old saying that your network uh, determines your net worth. Uh, that cannot be truer than in commercial real estate and investment real estate. So I would say, you know, it's great to align yourself with other residential brokers, but I think you should also align yourself with true commercial real estate brokers that sell nothing but commercial real estate. because. Those guys and gals are the ones that are going to have the inventory that you're, instead of you driving down the street looking for an owner and trying to get contact, most likely there's a commercial broker that already has that information. And the reason why is because of the sources that we have available to us that you guys do not have access to. And I will go through uh, a couple of them. One of them is LoopNet, which you guys can all log on and find properties. However, with a paid subscription to LoopNet, you then have access to listings that are available on CoStar. Um, and that was thanks to the merger of CoStar and LoopNet. CoStar, CoStar you, your, your firm would probably have to pick up the bill because it was a very expensive uh, membership. And if you're not producing the volume, uh, the membership doesn't justify. So uh, those are the first two. And then the one that I'm gonna talk about which cracks me up is TAN. So Top Agent Network, let me tell you how, how my relationship with TAN. There's probably 20 of you in the room that forward me every commercial request from residential brokers in TAN. TAN, as a commercial broker, I do not have access to TAN, so I'm not putting commercial real estate in there. So you guys, you're wasting, like there's one in particular whose name I won't call out, but they post the same listing since November 2016. And I print them, and they send them to me every week. And I, she's an app property agent, um, and I do ask her, you know, when you're ready, I'd be more than happy to work with your buyer. But unfortunately, she is thinking of the bigger picture and looking at a larger commission potential commission check. But I can tell you, since November 16th, I probably have closed on over 500 units in the South Side where she's been looking. So that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Drops the mic. Good morning. Um, I want to ask a few questions first. I want to know who's in the room. So, how many residential brokers do we have? Would you just raise your hands? Commercial brokers? People who are already investing in real estate? Brokers who should be investing in real estate? <laughs> Everybody? Okay. And um, lenders who finance commercial real estate. So, networking obviously we all know is important, which is why we're all here. But you're thinking way too small. I'm not going to find you because I don't have the time to come here to meet you all. I have meetup groups all over the Midwest. I've got one here in Chicago. I don't even make it to my own meetings. Um, I actually have a team that runs them. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. And if you're not on Instagram and Facebook, I'm never going to see you. 
Um, I get deals sent to me all the time because I'm on podcasts, and uh, that basically, as a as an investor, that gives me some sort of credential credentials that even being more people who are more successful than I than I am don't get deals sent to them like I do. Off market deals, deals from around the country. I just was sitting here. I got a 298 unit off market um, deal in Houston sent to me, and then I got another one in some other city in I don't know Texas. I don't even look at my deals. I send them to other people because I'm that busy, and I'm I'm that busy because I'm on social media. So if you are not branding yourself and using your Facebook, don't use your personal one. I don't want to see your baby pictures, your kids, and all that stuff. I put mine on there because they're cute, but I don't want to see everybody else's. <laughs> Make a separate Instagram account for your personal business. Make a separate Facebook account for your personal business. They work together. You st put stuff on Instagram, you can choose to send it right to your Facebook account. That's what we're all using. That's where the investors are. I get off-market deals from sellers, from other investors, from agents, from loan brokers, from people who just, people whose grandma something something. Also, you know, you were saying, yeah, you sold a whole bunch of units, and if that lady would have just asked you for what she wanted, you could have given it to her. But she's sending you stupid stuff. If I swear I apologize, I swear constantly, even in front of my own children, I don't apologize about that. They just know that those are not their words. Um, so, uh, you guys, you need to be, this thing right here, I think everyone has one of these. I think we all live off of these things. This is your business. Your face is your business. Dripping food on your white shirt is your business. If you are not authentic and visible, no one gives a shit about you. And that's legit. I don't want to know that you're the best agent. I don't care. But what are you to me? The personalization of your business is what's going to carry you on moving forward into whatever the hell is about to happen. Um, I, everybody I know has stopped buying. Like, you know, I haven't bought anything in over a year. And I was buying things at one or two properties a month. Um, not saying the market's going to crash or anything because no one can predict that stuff, but when you have a huge network of people who are seeing trends across the country through things like this, I think I have like 3,200 professional contacts on Facebook and I just started my Instagram two months ago and I'm right about 700 people, but you find out the trends that are happening. Also, if you're looking for something, shoot a video. Shoot a video on your phone, put it out there, say, I'm looking for this. People love on Facebook and Instagram, they love hooking you up with somebody. Everybody likes to be a connector. Don't know why, it's just weird. But everybody wants to help you do whatever you want to achieve. So if you want to find off-market deals, say, I'm looking for off-market deals. Don't be afraid to get in front of the camera and put your face out there. We all have a bad history of keeping seven-year-old photos on our business cards, and when you show up places, people are like, who the hell are you? Where's this person, right? So you need to be like flawed, be flawed, be horrible, make mistakes, tell people you do that. That authenticity, that vulnerability will get you deals, clients, and partnerships faster than anything else I can suggest. Everybody's throwing their business cards in the garbage today. Who's Rick Sylvan? I get this question a lot from first-time investors especially. Um, what are the best ripe areas for investment? Um, how do you guys know which areas are ripe for investments? So everybody knows, you know, everybody's talking about Humboldt Park moving west and East Garfield Park and South Shore and Woodlawn. You know, that's in the news. Everybody's talking about it. And it's true. But who's your investor? 
I personally, I'm not going to invest, you know, in East Garfield. Why? Because everything I own is in South Chicago. It doesn't make sense for me personally. So when you're dealing with an investor, it's a very personal question. You can't just look for a hot deal in Lincoln Park and think that's going to work for a specific person. So it's, it, you can't do it in a vacuum. You can't invest in a vacuum. You have to know who you're working with. It's the same as if you're working with a home buyer. You can't just start showing a first-time home buyer, single-family homes. They want a three-bedroom, and you're showing them stuff in Beverly, and they're, they're, they want to be in Jefferson Park. And it just doesn't make any sense. So you have to talk to your investors, see what their objectives are, and based on that, you find them homes that make sense at the end of the day, which every investor is interested in, which is the money element. It's the money. And if it fits them personally and the bottom line works, then that's the good area. So let's just qualify up here. So they're talking single family multi-units, which are two to four. When I'm speaking, I'm speaking strictly from five units at a pop. So with that being said, um, I agree. Each, each person you run across will define um, what's a good investment to them. Um, you have to qualify that statement with them because they're each going to answer it differently. Um, you should also know when to refer versus help. For and I'll give you an example. So I do a lot in South Shore, but I know nothing about Inglewood. So I had an, LA, an investor from LA that came to me to wanted to sell an apartment building. I knew that I could not be a great service, but I'm gonna call on somebody in this room who I referred it to and let him tell you how he was able to get it closed, and that would be Moses. So will you share that story real quick? Uh, so yeah, I received a call from an investor from LA saying that they had a distressed property, they had to move it in two weeks. Um, the tenants weren't paying rent, half of it was damaged, and I called K-Rock and said, hey, I got a call from investor. He's like, yeah, you're the man for the job. I did my research, I saw average market time in the area was 100 days. I went to them and say, okay, where can we price it? What can we do? They didn't even have keys to the building. <laughs> so I had to figure out a marketing strategy to get the building done, which I was able to give multiple offers within 48 hours. Uh, and we closed, uh, I think about two weeks ago. Yeah. And he was- Thank you. He did an excellent job. And that's the point. You know, I'm, I'm good in some areas. I'm, I, you will never see me sell a condo, or uh, you will never see me sell a single family home. I don't know that market. I don't want to know that market. Um, I have a specialist, and all I do is sell multifamily and condo deconversion, and that's it. And when I speak to investors that are local, they have one criteria, uh, and it could be, it doesn't matter what neighborhood, because every neighborhood has homes and has a housing element to it. And we all, no matter what race, color, creed, origin, orientation, we all need a place to live. So there's no such thing as one area being better than the other. It's all determined by what the investors are looking for. Uh, international clients are coming here in droves, and that's kind of shaking things up for local investors. So you also have to understand that, and we'll elaborate that on, uh, elaborate on that later. Okay, I'm just going to kind of combine what the two of them said because it's spot on. Uh, you're your investor is happy based on what they want 
and some people it's not even money. I mean, so some, a lot, most of us it's money. But there are plenty of investors who want to own Class A properties in the neighborhood they choose, and they have a pride of ownership. Like, I can't. I don't have time to go into it, but there's like six distinct things I found that all investors are looking for, and they're on a spectrum of all of them. And when I'm smart enough to figure out how to create that digital product that basically you can plug in what your investor is looking for and it tells you what they should probably be getting, I'll make millions and maybe I'll take you all out to breakfast here again. But the truth is people are looking for things that fit them specifically. It might be that pretty house on, somebody might want to buy something on in Evanston on the lake, right? And, have, and own it for 30 years and have it paid off because that's going to be the, where they retire. And they were smart enough now to know to, to basically um, have someone else pay down that mortgage. So by the time they're ready to move in, it's paid off. People are that specific in what they're looking for, the smart ones. Then you get the ones who have no freaking clue, and you guys are used to that if you're selling to first-time home buyers. And those people are hard to deal with. So if you can sit down and, you know, anyone who, if you want, I will send you like my six things that I find make it really easy to figure out what your investor wants. Uh, I'll email mail those to you guys. Um, you can sit down and talk to them about those six specific things. You'll have a much better idea because it's like, is pride of ownership important? Yes. Well, then you probably want to put them in a class A or class B up and coming area. Is cash flow important? Yes. Well, maybe then a class C or class D area is where they want to be. Um, oh my gosh, off the top of my head, if I would remember them all. Their experience or education. Do they want to be completely hands off? Um, you know, their resources. Do they have the capital to get into where they want to? Or do they have a connection to a, a general contractor to help them flip a house or flip an apartment building? All these things are super, super important for you to not waste time. I hate time wasters. You can lie to me, you can steal my money, you can kick my kids. If you waste my time, <laughs> I can't get that back. And I will hate you. I mean, and I hate, 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 hate a serious word for me, but I will hate you for wasting my time. I don't know how much I have left. I can't make any more. Um, so I don't want you to waste your time either. So don't waste your time necessarily. Like everything I will tell you is don't waste your time. Like, so I guess that's, that's me. Love it. Um, if you're new to the industry, how do you find investors to work with? Or if you just haven't worked with investors, I know a lot of realtors are just shy about working with investors. So they might be experienced in buying and selling homes, but just don't work with investors. So how do you guys find the investors? So I'm still getting over the kicking my kid book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't kick your kids. Um, don't do that, but um, networking again is key, you guys. Obviously, we, I mean, uh, K-Rock and Moses just told a story about referrals. I get referrals from you guys all the time. Um, surprisingly, I get a lot of referrals from other brokers. Um, so networking is totally key, and, and what you're doing on social media and putting yourself out there is always, always, always valuable across the board. So in regard to working with investors, especially if you're used to doing residential, how do you find investors? So my advice on that is to not discount smaller investors. You do not have to go for the big guys looking for, you know, 24 unit multifamily or these giant mixed use or retail. You don't have to do that to start off. You are probably already working with people who will bridge that for you, who will get you in uh, on the onset. So as of, for instance, I have uh, a client who is 
a 65 year old person who is on the brink of retiring and he's looking to buy a home for the first time. So now in discussing that with him and based on what his income will be when he retires and all of those things, doesn't it make more sense for him to use the same loan, he's pre-qual, for a two to four unit so that he has income to pay his mortgage when he retires? That is the first step. It's easy. And so what you have to do in that respect is look at him, what he can afford, but more importantly, can the second floor unit pay his note? Or similarly, I worked with first-time home buyers who thought they'd buy a condo, eventually move out into a home, rent out that condo for income. Now, you know that's kind of hard because condo rules may say no rentals and you never know what's going to happen down the line. Eventually, I got them actually into a two unit. Second floor is paying their note. And when they move into their home in five years, they will have a two unit building as an investment. And so that is where you can start building. You look at the small, smaller investors, the first time buyers who are doing those things, and that will get you in there to start. Okay, Let's see, how do you find investors? Um, so I'm just gonna speak personally and then you can extract from that what, where, uh, what you want. So the three social media sites that I use and I'm very active on are LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, and Facebook. Personal, not business. I do have a business page, but I don't use it. Um, and the reason why is because of something that uh, she, Ma Molly, Megan, <laughs> Megan touched on. We're old friends. We go back. And that is, um, you have to be authentic. And you know, you'll find that, you know, I I don't have the time to manage all you know four different pages. So I figure Facebook and Instagram are one and the same, so I can just share right away. But I, but. 100% um, of our international clients have all come from LinkedIn. Um, and so if you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll understand why uh, on a daily basis I'm getting someone reaching out from another country. And it, when it first started a couple years ago, I just think, used to think it was spam until they actually pick up the phone. Um, but like right now, we're representing clients from Norway, from Austria, from Singapore, and from London. Um, we are very active uh, acquiring properties on the south side. Um, tomorrow we have, uh, we have people in from England that are coming in to look at nine properties. They're flying in today, we're spending it all tomorrow together and then they'll fly out Friday. Um, and how I came about was simply, I decided I wanted to be a specialist on LinkedIn for investment sales. And while everybody else is posting, just close, just close, just close, just close, you don't see me posting just close. You see me posting coming soon, which are when we first have our new listings, um, you'll see those posts. And then information, information that international clients can use. But I'm never selling, I'm simply sharing and advising. And that's the other thing, don't sell. Okay, shameless plug. Um, so you guys all saw the uh, upfront when you guys registered, maybe you didn't see it, just in case. Um, I will be speaking at uh, the Midwest Real Estate Investing uh, networking summit. It'll be here May in Chicago, May 11th, 12th, and 13th. So if you want to meet investors, they'll be there. Um, if you want to know more about real estate investing and every different type of it, that information will be there. It's not, it's, an, it's a no BS, no guru. This isn't a Fan Merrill wealth builder 
thing where we're trying to get you into a sales funnel. These are real investors who are presenting mostly from the Chicagoland area. Um, we flew in a few, a couple of specialists from around the country, but um, that are basically be explaining everything you need to know about investing. And we'll be putting, we're, we're putting a lot of attention into who's showing up to the event. So um, we'll actually be seating people at 10, 10, you know, like, like a wedding, but we're gonna be putting, we're gonna be putting you in front of the people you need to meet and see based off of uh, a poll we'll be sending out, multiple, multiple polls. So that's one opportunity. Start going to real estate investing meetings. Um, we always like meeting brokers. You guys are getting things off market. Uh, you, know, you know, what we all say is anything that's on LoopNet is where deals go to die. Um, I don't know anyone who looks for deals off of LoopNet. Uh, when it comes to multifamily, everybody's looking to buy multifamily. Everyone from new home buyers to people looking for investments to older people looking to retire. So now you have the two largest generations fighting over multifamily properties, two to four units that they can get really good loans on. So what do you think is going to be hard to find? What do you think is going to sell fast? Stop selling homes. Start looking and getting in, like going, I mean, door knock. I mean, honestly, multifamilies are flying off the shelves and people can't wait for them to, to be available. The investors are door knocking. So the investors are really aggressively marketing those, those, uh, that, the, those property classes. You're not gonna be getting them as listings because the investors are already on Facebook. They're already on Instagram. They're already telling people what, I, what they need. If I go on Facebook and say, hey, I'm looking in the Avondale area for a two to four unit building, I would probably have three off-market deals in my inbox within 24 hours. Like, oh, hey, I know, you know, oh, hey, I'm looking to sell, or, oh, I know an old, you know, my, my landlord hates landlording, you know? So that's the type of stuff that you guys are gonna need to start doing. You guys are gonna start needing to go and find off-market deals as fast as possible. So um, if you wanna meet investors, go to, go to where investors are, that's meetup groups. And they wanna meet you guys, you know? Um, we all, we don't, most of us don't have access to MLS. Uh, there's a reason why I'm not an agent, because I don't, I don't wanna have to tell everybody I am, and I also, when I buy properties, I don't like having to pay a brokerage for buying my own properties. But um, you guys have a huge upside to investors, right? So you wanna meet investors, add value. Always be adding value. Be adding value to your client, be adding value to everybody within your field. Um, adding value to investors is how you're gonna secure long-lasting relationships with them. Otherwise, every broker is trying to throw something at you. Or usually what we get is uh, properties that no one's buying because there's a good reason why no one's buying them. So don't send us your garbage. That's the fastest way that we stop at opening your emails. Um, and if you want to know what a good deal is, become an investor. I only work with in investors who are agents or agents who are investors because they understand me already. And I've had to teach so many agents, and I don't mind teaching because that's what I love doing, but I've had to teach so many agents how to work with investors that when I'm dealing with my own purchases, I, I don't do it when I'm hiring you. So um, get educated, get on biggerpockets.com. If you're not a member there already, it is a free educational platform where you can go and ask questions and other investors like myself or Bruce Schmidt or John Kasman out of Chicago. These guys are all on there answering people's questions. And uh, we like doing that, but that's a place that we can do that. Um, it's not evasive. So biggerpockets.com, you can meet a lot of investors that way. I'm, I can't help myself, so I'm gonna give one quick tip on this one. 
your own sphere of influence, guys. People who are talking to you, I've, I've converted so many of my friends who are like, hey, I'm investing in the stock market and I'm getting, and I'll ask them, what kind of return are you getting? I'm getting 5% every single year. Well, why don't you think about real estate? Because real estate is a safer investment. You got principal pay down, you have appreciation, um, you get you know cash on cash return. So your sphere of influence, when they're talking to you about investments in general, mention real estate to them. I've converted so many of my own met database people into actual real estate investors. So just look at your own database. It's a safe investment. It's far safer than Bitcoin, for those of you who have lost a ton of money in Bitcoin. But just look at your own database and try to talk to them and educate them about investments. This next one's a little bit of a more controversial uh, question, but i um, excited to hear the answers. There are a lot of people who are perhaps negatively looking at the future of Chicago real estate um, because of the city and state's financial problems. What would you tell somebody who's looking to invest in Chicago and how do you view Chicago's future as a real estate investment opportunity? That is a great, great question. So I understand those concerns. We all understand those concerns. I uh, opened an office in Indiana last year because I have clients looking to move to Indiana just because of that reason. And so I'm helping investors in Northwest Indiana at the time, presently. And, and for those of you who do follow me on Facebook, I personally bought a 16-acre horse farm in Indiana just in February um, to plan for long-term you know, move. And it's been a great investment. And check out my Facebook lives to see me on the tractor moving manure. So, <laughs> um, so that being said, Chicago is full of renters. And if you look for rental comps, you'll see that you can get $1,400 for a two-bedroom in Woodlawn. Uh, I just saw a uh, two-bedroom in Belmont Cragen go for $2,100. And if you're looking in Lincoln Park or Lakeview, we're talking thousands, right? So as long as people keep paying those rents and the rents are increasing, you have an investor's market. You have investors will make money off of things. So, so I don't, you know, I don't have a doom and gloom about Chicago in regard to that. Personal homeowners, that's a different story. Taxes and all of that, that's a different story. But as far as investment goes, I don't think that's gonna change. Um, and then if I can do a shameless plug for the industry, if you are an RPAC contributor, <laughs> you know that your dollars are going to help protect the interests of home buyers and property owners and realtors, not just locally, but on the state level and national. So if you're not an RPAC investor, I encourage you to become one today. I agree. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to say the following. Um, I truly believe that Chicago is a city that works. And if you look at the sky and you see 57 cranes that are popping up that are residential cranes only, and then another 14 that are commercial cranes, uh, which totals about 71 cranes right now in the sky, um, if the top 1% globally and internationally, or, or nationally and internationally, are investing in Chicago, I think we're gonna be okay in the long run. So everybody hates Chicago. I mean, like all the investors across the country, and that's great for me, because they're idiots. Um, so Chicago is always going to be 
the second city. I mean, if, if you look at what we do here, I mean, our, our mix of industrial, our blue collar employees, our white collar employees, we're a transportation hub between the airport, between train lines, between um, our interstates. Chicago's not going anywhere, you know? Everybody's worried about taxes. Well, Wisconsin's taxes are in real estate. Property taxes are higher. Yeah, we kind of pay for the stuff we buy, but buy less, unless it's real estate. Um, the other thing I like to tell people is, I'm like, I, I'm gonna keep investing in Illinois, and that's because I'm very hopeful that the marijuana, marijuana legalization law is gonna happen here. And you are going to have a great uptick of sales of properties and rental rental property values going up, especially along the borders in Illinois. Um, maybe it's just gonna pass in Cook County or maybe just in the city of Chicago. Who knows how it's gonna work, but wherever it gets legalized, property values and rent values are going up because there are plenty of people who think that that's far worth uh, paying for. So I also like the upside of the amount of taxation that this state and this city and the counties will all be getting um, because we are definitely in need. Everyone's in need of more money, right? Anyone in here need less money? Government feels the same way. They need more money. Our education in Chicago and Illinois is subpar and we're working on it. Uh, and the legalization issue is, I think, one of the, one of the things that's going to help. Um, another trend with, you know, I'm going to just throw this out there. You didn't like it, but um, I'm just going to throw this out there for you, a little thing to chew on. A lot of investors are talking about the de-urbanization of cities. Uh, I don't see that happening as drastically here in Chicago. But when your millennial generation is all starting to have their little three and four-year-olds, now I'm not a millennial, I'm just a really old mom in the Gen X community. But um, the millennials are all getting three and four-year-olds just starting to look at school districts. Who here wants, who, who here has kids in public school in Chicago? A couple of you, right? How many have kids in school districts outside of the city of Chicago or put their kids through school districts out, who didn't use Chicago public? Yeah, okay. Everybody I, I know. Most kids don't go to school. They're yeah. all <laughs> <laughs> Everybody I know, so I'm like at the tail end of like all my friends, they all move to the suburbs because of education. And when you have the largest population, the millennials, now looking for school districts to put their kids in, it's probably not CPS. So start thinking, suburbs. Start focusing, you know, start just putting it like in your thoughts. You might want to start thinking that there might be a shift, not a grand shift. What a light shift. There's other cities that are going to fare far worse. Grand Rapids, Michigan is one that I'm predicting is probably going to have a huge swing. Um, because the other thing is grandma and grandpa, you know, we all thought they'd, they'd, they'd want to move to the city with a condo on the lake or something like that, but they follow. They follow grandbabies. So you, you've got families moving out to Barrington, there goes grandma and grandpa. So those two condo or those two apartment renters now moved. So for every family that moves, you might be losing two. I would say probably one and a third. I guess every third group of grandparents would move out to the suburbs. But that's what people are looking for. And they're looking for multi-generational living because it's too expensive for families to live off of one income. So now they need two incomes. Childcare is super expensive. So who, who raises kids now? Grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles. People are staying together. So um, I guess that's, I'm long-winded. Uh, I wanna add as much value to you guys and get you guys thinking as much as possible.
Stop poo-pooing our city. It's the best city in the world. If it was a little bit warmer all year long, it would be worth five times as much everywhere. Um, compared to all the big cities, uh, we have the best property values. Um, try going to New York or San Francisco. How much time? Here's your time. Okay. Um, the next two questions kind of go hand in hand, so I'll kind of combine them. How do you analyze investment properties um, to determine ROI for investors? And then obviously, if it's got a good ROI, then it's, quote, worth it. So how do you guys determine ROI and then if an investment property is worth it for your investor? Two, two, two questions, kind of. So ROI being return on investment. So yes. there's, there's all of these formulas, you guys. There's you know the NOI and the cap rate, the IRR, the GRM, the ROI, the cash on cash. There are a lot of formulas. And I encourage you to figure out how to make how, how those work. They're really not that difficult. Um, they just sort of sound difficult if you're not used to it, okay? Um, so those are, those are important, but ultimately at the end of the day, um, you know, when you're looking at the numbers, let's say you're looking at a listing sheet and it tells you that there's six units and here are the rents they're getting and here are the expenses and all of that stuff, you can't take it at face value. So you can run those numbers, but you really have to find out, okay, so are the units actually occupied? Are they actually getting those rents? Are those the market rents? You know, there's so much more work to be done. And then at the same time, you have to look at your investor, which I talked about earlier, to see what makes sense. If you have an investor that already holds, you know, um, several dozen units in an area, then their expenses will be less because they are already managing holding units in those areas. Whereas if, you know, you're completely on separate sides of town, then the expenses will be more. So um, I don't really want to talk more about the ROI just because it's so abstract and it, it, it's almost like on paper. You actually have to go and see, you know, are the units lease ready? Do they need to be fixed up? Does the roof have to be done? Are the porches crap? You know, I mean, there's so much more to it in person, not on paper. So my, my view on that is do the numbers, but go and actually see it in person and work on it in an actual detail. Um, I have a handout that, uh, there you go. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm gonna use a real life example of one of the agents in here uh, who had a condo that they were trying to sell in a 15 unit building. Um, we sat down and I'm handing out what the numbers look like. So we did, the condo was listed for 69.9 and the rents that the condos were getting was 950. So I said, let me show you how, how to put a deal together here. So while they couldn't sell the one condo, we ended up having an investor buy all 15 units and be converted. So if you have, a, what, what I'm getting at is you probably have a deal or a condo or something in a condo building that can't sell. Um, there are investors that are looking for those buildings and this is, a, like I said, what I'm sending, what I'm handing out is a real life example. And it's, it's not that difficult to put these deals together. Feel free to reach out to me. I can run numbers with you. Marky Lemon does it all the time, all right? <laughs> All right, I'm gonna give you a really generic look, and that was a really good example that you had because those are the numbers where people are like, what are you looking for? For every $70,000 investment, you should be getting a $1,000 return on rent. Really hard deals to find. Those are not easy. Those are typically in your C-class areas. This was Jefferson Park, by the way. I would have bought that, except it was a condo, but I would have bought the building. Um, 
there's no right answer. So I'm going to be short on this one, you guys. Uh, but giving you kind of like that 70000 with $1,000 worth of income, if you can find deals like that, you'll find investors buying whatever you're selling like immediately. Um, in Chicago, you're not going to get that. You might get a 1%. Um, so for every $70,000, you'd be getting $700 in rent. Um, in some places, it's even less because we're in a really weird market. But you need to know your investor. There's no such thing as a good deal. Um, it's either a deal or it's either a, a purchase or a great deal. There's no good deals. And that's gonna, your great deals are gonna come from your own personal knowledge of the building, what the upside is on the investment, or your investor's potential to be able to make an upside swing on any property. I mean, like what we do is, people ask what I focus on, and I focus on opportunity, because solve problem, solve, solving problems, but not saying it, is what I'm really good at. Um, so what somebody else sees as being not a good deal, I can make a great deal, but that's because of what I know. So if you guys start learning how to become an investor yourselves, you will be a much better uh, broker for people who are looking for investment properties. Thank you. We're going to take one, maybe two questions from the audience. Anybody got a question for our panel? We got a question. I think I think what's happening is uh, it's not a uh, deurbanization in terms of uh, race. It's a deurbanization in terms of economics. So you have um, more people making over seventy-five thousand moving into Chicago, and people that are making less than twenty-five thousand are moving out of Chicago, and that's a di that's a shift in demographics, and that's. You know, and that's being driven, you know, and I go back to the cranes because I think the cranes are the true telltale side of what I call Chicago 2.0. Um, we think prices are expensive now. You haven't seen anything yet, all right? Um, but the cranes, the 57 cranes in the sky from, a, from an uh, actuarial standpoint are not keeping up with the anticipated demand by 2020. So if you, you know, so, I've looked at two high-rise buildings that are that are on the books that are starting at five dollars a square foot, and in 2013 I wrote that you know we're at 250, but I was looking at buildings at four dollars a square foot. Well, guess what? Downtown we're at four dollars a square foot. So, you know, the 57 cranes in the sky. This has all been planned out. This is not me waking up on Monday going, I want to put up a high-rise next year. <laughs> okay, this is three, four, five years of planning. So, you know, the last building I just looked at was the Tribune Tower. Um, that's 525 a square foot for rent to start, right? And it'll get done, you know, it's, it's, it's I love the way, I love where Chicago's heading, um, but unfortunately there are some casualties of war, and the casualties of the war are those people that make less than 25,000. 
Ingle is the new hot area. The shit is right. But that's a whole different pilot. We can have this all day long. By the way, in, 19, in 2003, when we built the homes, the new homes for Inglewood between 62nd and Ada, um, that Whole Foods was earmarked as a jewel of dominance. So the point I'm trying to make is that was 10 years before it actually happened. So everything you've seen happen in Inglewood today was planned back in the early 2000s. Um, it didn't just happen. We're out of time, but I think these guys, they're going to kick us out. They're going to toss us out.